Um, if you didn't get a chance to and you just feel something and you feel like popping, go ahead and pop in the next minute or two here. Amen. Praise the Lord. We have been uh, going through the Bible, the one-year Bible, the New Living Translation uh, this year. And uh, it's been uh, just a tremendous uh, time of spiritual growth and time of uh, learning for those of you that are doing your best, putting forth effort to try to stay uh, with the Bible reading. And um, I know that some of you I've talked to that you've said, wow, I've seen some things in the Word of God that I never noticed before, never maybe just read over it before or wasn't clued in or didn't have my comprehension cap on. Uh, But for whatever reason, this time around, I have really gained some insight from the Word of the Lord. And uh, uh, this last week, uh, the story of uh, King David has been extremely interesting, lots of highs and lows, as um, we have uh, uh, read about, um, uh, of course, last week his ascent to the throne and uh, then his, uh, uh, his great successes, great victories, and also his moral failure and God's judgment that came upon him and how he took his judgment and accepted the word from Nathan the prophet. But then he, even though he obtained God's forgiveness, he still lost the young child that was sick and then had his son Absalom turn against him and do unspeakable, reprehensible things against um, his father and his father's kingdom. And uh, But we see God's mercy and grace at work in the life of David. And through it all, David is a man who is after God's own heart. Uh, but for your attention this week, I'd like to look at our New Testament reading um, during the month, the entire month of May uh, in the in the one-year Bible. Uh, it has been, uh, the New Testament has been going through the book of John. In fact, it started April the 30th, and it ends up, not tomorrow, but the next day, uh, is the completion of the book of John. And uh, as I've been reading uh, the Bible reading this year, it's just, for some reason, John has just jumped out at me. Uh, because um, of the powerful revelation of the deity of Jesus Christ. And uh, what we'll do is um, I want to read uh, one passage of Scripture from our uh, reading this week um, in the book of John, chapter number 16, and verse 25. So good to see each and every one of you here tonight and visitors that we have with us. God bless you. Thank you for coming. You're welcome at Life Church. And uh, while you're finding John 16:25, it's May 27th, if you have your one-year Bible. Uh, I want to remind you again of the classes that are starting this Sunday at uh, 11 o'clock, three different classes going on, one of which is the uh, Growing Kids God's Way, which will be down in the youth room. And I challenge you to be down there early. Uh, class starts at 11, so be there at 10 till. Uh, also, New Life class will be happening across the hall downstairs almost Almost right beneath me is where the class will be transpiring, and uh, same time at 11 o'clock. And if you get there 15 minutes early, I'll have some donuts and some coffee for you, those of you that are in the New Life class. I can't make any promises for Brother Steele. Maybe he'll do that too. And then upstairs here at 11 o'clock is a great class that's going to be taught by Brother Chris and Brother Donnie. I'm not sure who will be teaching this week, but it's a great series with great PowerPoint presentation And so you don't want to miss it. That's at 11 o'clock Sunday, this coming Sunday. And uh, those of you that are in the classes will probably be receiving emails or phone calls between now and then to remind you of the start of these great classes. John chapter 16 and uh, verse number 25. The Bible says, 
Jesus said, I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. But the point is, Jesus says here to his disciples, up to this point, I have been talking to you about the Father using figures of speech and figurative language. And, uh, but you've reached the point where I don't have to do that anymore. But now I can clearly reveal to you who the Father is. And then the, the response of the disciples in verse 29, At last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything and there is no need to question you. For, for From this we believe that you came from God. The interesting thing about the book of John is that it clearly reveals the deity of Jesus Christ more than any of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is the one that clearly reveals the deity of Jesus Christ, not that the others try to shield or to hide it, but the purpose and the focus, obviously, from the book, from the beginning of the book of John to its end is to reveal that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. And uh, uh, I've always kind of, you know, just looking back from, from 2007 or, and looking back at the story of Jesus, it's so easy to uh, accept him as the Son of God or God made visible in the flesh. And uh, so easy because we've heard the stories and we've listened our whole life and, and seen uh, maybe films and movies and heard stories and heard many messages preached about it, that it's very easy to accept the lordship of Jesus Christ. However, can you imagine, I, I was thinking today, what if you could go back to that time or if you could take that particular instance to our present day and just imagine that somebody who you know was born, somebody that you know was raised in a household just like you, was going around and making claims that he had come from God. And not only was he come from God, but he was the Son of God or the promised deliverer or the Messiah. And not only that, but began to say, when you have seen me, you have seen God. Now, once again, it's totally easy for us to just kind of accept the fact that Jesus was making those kinds of statements. Surely he should make those. We know he's the Savior of the world. We know of his profound impact upon the world. He split time in half, and now the calendars are all lined out according to the life of Jesus Christ. And we know that Christianity grew and blossomed and literally turned the world upside down within 100 to 200 years. Uh, and uh, we know of, of the great things that God is doing through the Holy Spirit in our midst today. And uh, so it's easy just to kind of glibly accept that Jesus was God, manifest in the flesh. But here's a man living in their day, in their world, who's standing up and making claims like, uh, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, then you will be damned forever. What hard statements for people to hear from a man just like them. 
a man who would stand up and say, uh, uh, say things like, I am the light of the world, or I am the door. No man comes to God except through me. These kind of statements uh, are statements that we accept as we hear the preaching of the word. But can you imagine how difficult it would be to receive those statements from an individual? And so as you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, you realize that uh, he was keeping his full revelation of who he was hidden from the majority of the people. He couldn't just come right out and say, by the way, did you know that I am God made visible to man? People would uh, uh, ostracize him or push him aside or immediately assume him to be lacking in any kind of uh, cognitive ability or uh, to, to just assume that he's lost, lost his mind and off of his rocker. So what Jesus did, and it's so awesome to see how he did it to his disciples and people around him, was to reveal himself to them gradually, was to open up their understanding to the fullness of his deity step by step. And he started out by talking talking about his father and how he received power and authority from his father. And many people were like, well, who's your dad? I don't know. Your dad's Joseph. He's a carpenter. He's not really well known. He's He doesn't have that much authority. Uh, but he was slowly beginning to pull back the curtain and reveal his glory and his majesty. I don't think the disciples, I know the disciples, did not have a full grasp of who Jesus was when they began to follow him. That lets me know that he wasn't making those kinds of claims at the beginning of his ministry. Even though he knew who he was, even though he had all power in heaven and in earth, even though he knew the hearts of men and, and could read the thoughts of men, he was God manifest in the flesh, but he did not come out and immediately make these claims. But as you read through the book of John, it's very interesting how his, his divine nature and his deity is unfolded to his disciples. In John chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And, of course, this is speaking of Jesus Christ or the ministry of uh, Jesus Christ and the purpose of of Jesus Christ. And uh, before the story begins to be told about the unveiling of the deity of the Lord, the writer here, John, reveals who Jesus is. And uh, the word, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. This word here comes from the Greek word logos, which means thought, idea, or expression. A thought, an idea, or an expression. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the thought, the idea, the expression. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so this thought, or this idea, or this expression was from God. And since you cannot separate a man from his thoughts, we know that this man's thoughts were God. And since you cannot separate a man from his words, although I wish sometimes I could separate myself from some words I've said, we know that the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does Word mean? Word means putting a thought out there. Putting a thought out there and expressing it. Before a word is expressed, I've got a word in my mind right now. Does anyone know what that word is? Come on. Yes. Come on, you guys are not very smart. 
What's the word? Come on, just guess. Try. No, the word was turpentine. Nobody got it. How many know what word was in my mind now? Now you know, right? Why? Why do you know now? Because I spoke it. Because the word was made manifest. And now you know. So in other words, God's an invisible God. God is a, a living being with thoughts and ideas and plans and purpose. But what the word is, is taking that invisible, unseen, unknowable, and expressing it. So that now it's seen and it's known. So what is the word? The word is the thoughts of God, the plan of God made manifest. So who is the word? Of course, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So John chapter 1 says that God's thoughts, God's ideas, God's plan was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so when Jesus spoke, it was not a man that was speaking, but it was God's thoughts being expressed. Isn't that awesome? It was God's thoughts being made manifest. When Jesus lived among us, when Jesus worked, among men and responded to certain criticisms and reacted to things that were happening around him. It was not just a man reacting, but it was a revelation of how God was reacting. Because God was being revealed. God was being made visible through Jesus Christ. So the awesome principle of Logos, the Word made flesh or the Word made visible. And then uh, verse number 18 of John chapter 1 says... Uh, in the King James Version, it says, No man hath seen God at any time. Why? God's a spirit. Spirits are invisible. You cannot see them. I have a spirit. You can't see it. If I die, my spirit leaves. You don't see it going. It's invisible. Can we all agree with that? God is a spirit. No man hath seen God. any. Not God has a spirit, but God is a spirit. See the difference? I have a spirit. God is a spirit. And so a spirit is an invisible being. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. It is Jesus Christ, or the only begotten Son, that made the invisible God visible to this world. I, liked, I read the NIV version of that same verse. It's really powerful. It says, no one has, seen, has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. God, the one and only, has made him known. In the New Living Translation that we have, no one has ever seen God, but his only Son, who is himself God, is near the Father's heart. He has told us about him or made him known or made him visible. I like to use the example so that people can understand there's a spirit realm and there's a physical realm. The spirit realm is very real, even though it's invisible. To us, the, the physical realm is much more real because we can see it, we can touch it. It's tangible, it's matter. But the spirit realm, which is not as easily known not as knowable to the human mind, is very real. And God exists in the spirit realm. 
God is invisible. But in order for human beings to be able to relate to, connect to, and approach a living, invisible God, God had to express himself, make himself visible, show us himself. And when Jesus was on the earth, this baby that was born in the manger, that grew in wisdom and in stature, was God showing himself to us. It wasn't another God or another person. It was the creator of the world revealing himself and making himself manifest unto us. Amen? And then in John chapter 1, we're just going to kind of do a real quick skim the mountaintops just over the top of the book of John. John chapter 1, verse 29 through 33. John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ and said of him, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And in verses 29 through 33, he also revealed to the people, he says, The one who sent me told me that the one that I see the Spirit descending upon is the one that is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so John made clear that this Jesus who was walking among men was the one who would take away men's sins, be the Savior of the world, and also would baptize with the Holy Spirit. As you move through the book of John in John chapter 3, John is awesome because there's a lot of details that are left out. You know, some of Jesus' sermons that are uh, revealed in other Gospels that are very, very important, John does not repeat them again. He's got an agenda, an objective, that is to reveal the deity, the, the, uh, uh, the fact that Jesus was God. In John chapter 3, an awesome story that's not in, in the other three Gospels is about a religious leader named Nicodemus that came to Jesus at night. And this is after Jesus had begun to work miracles. And in John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus and says, Hey, you're a great miracle worker, and we know that you are from God. Or at least I do. And Jesus turned to him and immediately said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus like, How does that happen? I don't know how that could take place. Uh, I'm, I'm an old man. I can't be born again. And we say born again, and that's like, Yeah, I'm born again. You born again? Yeah, everybody born again. All God's children born again. And, uh, but to them, it's like born again. I've never heard of this idea. But Jesus revealed here the importance and the significance of what we call the new birth experience. Jesus, in his own words, said, now, a person who was born of the flesh is born of the flesh. That's a natural birth. He said, that which is born of the Spirit, that which is of the Spirit is born of the Spirit. And so there has to be a spirit birth in order for somebody to enter into and see the kingdom of God. And he said there has to be, they have to be born of water and of the Spirit. And interestingly enough, the Apostle Peter, uh, uh, a few years after this, or, or a few, uh, several months after this, stood up and said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus in water, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's spirit baptism. So we see this importance of water baptism and spirit baptism in the book of John as Jesus Christ is revealing prophetically about the spirit baptism, which was not happening yet, but which was going to happen after Jesus was glorified, and the new birth experience. And he laid it out real clearly. Then in John chapter 4, an interesting story of Jesus going to Samaria and the woman at the well. 
There are stories in John, but almost every story has a specific purpose. It's not just, hey, another miracle. Hey, another great work by Jesus. It is a teaching point. There is revelation. There is a deepening of the understanding of who Jesus is with each story. John chapter 4. This um, uh, lady, uh, this woman uh, with a bad reputation, uh, with... uh, Five husbands and a live-in lover now came to Jesus and, uh, you know, Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you would ask to drink of me. But the point is, then the lady said, you know, your people say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, the pure Jews. But we Samaritans say that we can worship on this mount. Now, what say you? Should we worship in Jerusalem or at this mount? And Jesus said, you know what, ma'am, the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's not going to matter really where you're worshiping, whether you're uh, in Jerusalem or on the mountain. In fact, you won't be in a tabernacle, you won't be in a temple, but you will be worshiping in spirit and in truth. Uh, And uh, as he declared this to her, he was revealing uh, that uh, there was a new dispensation, a new time that was coming. And also, he said to the woman at the well, she said, I know that the Messiah is coming. Do you believe the Messiah is coming? And Jesus says, I'm talking to you right now, and I am he. I am the Messiah. And the lady drops her water pots and goes running around town and tells everybody about this man who told me everything that I ever did. This truly must be the Messiah. Many people come back, and in John chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 42, that many, many of the Samaritans believed he was the Savior of the world. Savior of the world. Now, anybody heard about the revival that happened in Samaria in Acts chapter 8? You know what I'm talking about? A few years down the road after the Holy Ghost is poured out. And then there's revival in, in, in Samaria. You know, that just didn't happen randomly. The seed was already planted because there was a woman with a bad reputation who had an encounter with Jesus Christ and went and told everybody. Amen. Isn't it awesome that one person can spur a great revival that will affect an entire community? And so, uh, as you read through the book of John, you you also see many other miracles. We won't speak of them specifically. But in John chapter 5, verses uh, 16 through 18, we begin to see where the Jewish leaders begin to try to kill Jesus or conspire to kill him. And the reason is, is that Jesus is calling God his father. And in other words, making himself equal with God. And as Jesus began to use this language, God is my Father. They, these Jews begin to be angry. And then in verse 19 of John chapter 5, Jesus says, The Son can do nothing by himself. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. And as you can see here, Jesus is slowly revealing to them, especially those who were believers in him, as they were ready to accept the reality that this is not just a great teacher, not just a miracle worker, not just a prophet from God, not just a teacher, not just a Messiah, but he is the Father, the Creator, the God of the universe, who is revealing himself, revealing himself to us. And in chapter 5, 
we begin to see that uh, Jesus says of himself that he has the power to judge and that he has the power to save. And uh, chapter 5 and uh, verse number 43, very interesting. Let me skip back there. One of the problems with the one-year Bible, it's hard to find verses sometimes. John chapter 5 and verse 43 says, For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. You gladly honor each other. But you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Wow, isn't that awesome? He said, I came in my Father's name. Well, what was his name? Jesus. Jesus. The, the, uh, and I've told many of you before that have been here, the, the Hebrew word Jesus is actually Joshua. Like the word Joshua. Yeah, Yahshua. And uh, Hebrew scholars, Hebrew scholars will tell you that simply means Yah is the shortened name of Yahweh. Yah. Many times in Scripture they use Yah in place of Yahweh or Jehovah, and Shua means salvation. Yah is Jehovah, Shua is salvation. So Jesus said, "I came in my Father's name." So what is the Father's name? The Father's name, Yahweh, Jehovah, or Jesus, which is Yah, Jehovah. Saves Shua. He said, I came in my father's name and you honor one another, but you don't seem to want to honor the one who alone is God. And these guys are getting upset. (laughs) And uh, then in verse 45, very interesting, he says, yet. It isn't I who will accuse you before the father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Here's a man. In their day, who says, Moses, 2,000 years ago or so, wrote about me. And they're like, bro, you've got a superiority complex. There's real problems with this guy. Jesus was revealing to them and provoking them, trying to pull from them some believers who would respond in faith to the message of Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 6 is where he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood in order to be saved. And the Bible says this was a hard saying. And the disciples say, why are you saying this? This is very difficult for us to accept and receive and understand. And the Bible even says that he lost some of his followers and his disciples after this saying. And some people decided not to follow him uh, any longer. Then in John chapter 7, this is really an awesome scripture passage where Jesus goes to the Feast of the Tabernacles. And there while Jesus is at the Feast of the Tabernacles, people are wondering because he's been doing miracles and uh, doing great things and confounding the, the, the teachers of religious law and making declarations about his uh, equality with God and uh, being the Son of God. And they're wondering, what's he going to do? And he pretty much stays quiet. Throughout this feast, and people are wondering, is he going to work a miracle? Is he going to do anything? Is he going to say anything? And then, all of a sudden, in verse uh, verse number 37 of John chapter 7, Jesus stands up in the middle of the feast, 
and screams and cries out really loud and gets everybody's attention. And what he says in verse 37 is, On that last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. People are like, hey, must have a cooler of Gatorade or something. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Jump down to 40. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? The scriptures say that Messiah will be born from the line of David in Bethlehem. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. So Jesus is creating a storm wherever he goes. His Miracles and his declarations are convincing many people and confusing other people and maddening other people. And, uh, and, and as uh, uh, Jesus once said, you think I came to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword to divide believers from unbelievers. And the same is still true today. The true message of Jesus and the true church uh, is not a conciliatory message, but it is a message that there is one way, there is one truth, there is one God, and his name is Jesus. And that divides and turns some people off. But it's the truth nonetheless. But when Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are thirsty, and I will give you. And out of your belly, as the scripture said, shall flow rivers of living water. And then I like the subtext here. John puts it in parentheses because understand, he's writing this a few years later. Everybody got it? And he says, when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Jesus was promising or prophesying the baptism of the Holy Spirit, like we're promising and declaring is going to happen around here on Sunday. The Holy Spirit will be poured out, and out of their belly will flow rivers of living water. Amen? So many argued... There were arguments between people as many began to believe in him. Others rejected him. Others had questions. And, uh, uh, but then as you move along in Scripture in John chapter 8, it becomes more and more heated and uh, more and more profound because Jesus' statements about his deity are just bold-faced and plain in uh, John chapter number 8 and then John chapter number 10. And uh, in John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. In John chapter 8 and uh, verse 24, I want you to notice the uh, people's response in John eight twenty-four when Jesus said that. Who are you, they demanded. Jesus replied, the one I've always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I've heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. See, the one thing that is very, very clear uh, from the book of John is when Jesus refers to his father, 
he's not referring to another person in the Godhead. Because if there were God the Father and God the Son as two separate persons in the Godhead, then if they're co-equal, why would, why would Jesus continuously be saying, I don't speak the words, it's the Father that speaks through me. The best way to understand that is in the place of Father, just put God. Put God, the divine one, <laughs> divinity. I don't say the words, it's God that's in me that speaks the words. And Jesus, speaking as a man, as a human being that he was, as well as God, he said, I'm not speaking these words, but it's God that's in me that's saying the words. Uh, what I'm doing, it's just not what I want to do. You know, if it was what I want to do, I'd go sit down and... and uh, Relax and have a turkey sandwich and build up a retirement and live, live comfortably just like any other man. But it's God in me that's doing the works. And so you, as you begin to understand this, you realize that God is revealing himself through, uh, through Jesus Christ. But they didn't stone him or, or get ready to stone him until John chapter 8 and verse 56. John eight fifty six says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And they're like, what? Abraham rejoiced to see your day. And then they, they said, then, then they said the Jews on him, you're not even 50 years old yet. And you say you've seen Abraham. Now, I mean, we could maybe smile if you were like 93 and you say, yeah, I remember Abraham. We'd laugh, but you're not even 50. And you said you've seen Abraham. Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I am? That's grammatically incorrect. Because in the Greek, it should say, I was. Translated to English, I was. Before Abraham was, I was, but he said, before Abraham was, I am. And in every translation of Scripture, there is a subtext that says Jesus was referring to the name of God as the self-existent one from Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, where Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is, the, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am. That I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent you. And when Jesus said to them, you know, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham rejoiced to be, to, to, uh, see my day. And they said, you, how did you know Abraham? Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. I am the self-existent one. And at that point, they realized he is claiming to be the I am. He is claiming to be the creator. He is claiming to be Jehovah. This is crazy. It's okay for him to claim to be a prophet. It's okay for him to claim to be a teacher. It's okay for him to claim to be the Messiah. But he is saying he is the I am. This is crazy. And they took up stones, verse 59, to cast at him, but he was delivered from their midst. And then John chapter 10, 29, my father, which gave them to me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Verse 30, I and my father are one. Verse 31, and the Jews took up stones again to stone him. What was it that was stirring them up? Not that he was claiming to be the Messiah. There was a lot of people during his day claiming to be the Messiah. Lots of false Christs and Messiahs. But Jesus says, 
I and my Father are one. In other words, I am the self-existent one. I am the creator. I am God. And they're like, you can't be. You were born just 30 years ago. You were a little kid just a little while. How can you claim to be God? I am. Jesus was making this claim. If you believe, you'll be saved. If you believe that I am He, if you believe that I am God manifest in the flesh, that's your power for salvation. If you can't accept that, if you've got to reject that, uh, if you turn away, then you will not be saved. You will die in your sins. Jesus is God showing himself to us. In verse 12, chapter 12, verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. So when we see Jesus, we are seeing the one who sent him. And he's been claiming all along, it's God who sent me. And when you see me, you are seeing God. It's time for revelations, brothers and sisters. It's time for understanding. And I remember as a young person, as I was looking through the Word of God, and I realized it hit me like a ton of bricks. Jesus is God. Period. Jesus is God. Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is the one and only. Jesus is the creator. It's all in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. Jesus is God showing himself to us. Isaiah 53 and 1. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Hebrews 1, 3. I like this. It says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. God is invisible. Jesus was the express image of his person. Colossians 1.15 says of Jesus that he was the image of the invisible God. In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So guess what, brothers and sisters? If you want to pray to God, you say, Jesus Christ, and you've said everything. All the fullness of the Godhead was manifest in the name of Jesus. That's why that's the greatest name that's ever been uttered. That's why there's no other name under heaven given. No name, absolutely no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. There is nothing that's ever been named that is higher than the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the revealed name of God. And when Jesus was on the earth, it was God made manifest made manifest and revealed in the flesh. And when we worship Jesus, uh, amen, we don't have to worship the Father and then Jesus, uh, because when you worship Jesus, hallelujah, He is your heavenly Father made manifest. Hallelujah. It's all in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And uh, then in John chapter 14, as we draw to a close here, this was from our reading uh, during uh, this week, John Fort, the, the ending of the book of John. John 14 is, is, is where right before, the night before, Jesus was crucified. Jesus was delivered. And this was, if you, if you understand the context of the timing of Scripture, as I understand it, this was right after Judas left the room. Right? Judas is gone. He's gone to do his, the evil bidding of Satan. 
and betray Jesus Christ. So Jesus is in the room now. And uh, the disciples that were true to him are there. And Jesus begins to make the profound revelation of the fullness of his deity to his disciples in no uncertain terms. And Judas missed it. Judas missed the revelation of who Jesus was. Chapter 14, verse 1. Just read a few verses here if you have your Bibles. Follow along. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. King James Version says, you believe in God? Believe also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord. I like the King James Version there in verse 4 says, You know where I'm going and you know how to get there. Isn't that what it says? You know whence I'm going, and you know how to get there. Thomas says, how are we going to know how to get there when we don't even know where you're going? Jesus says, you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. Because Jesus, when he said where I'm going, he wasn't talking about a destination. He was talking about, what did Jesus always said? I'm going to God, going back to the Father. I want you to come with me. You know where I'm going. In other words, you know God. And you know how to get there because you know me. No man cometh to God except through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. So he was saying, you not only know me, which is the way, but you know God, which is the destination. Because Jesus was saying, as it unfolds here, I'm not only the way, I'm also the destination. I'm the way to get to me. <laughs> I'm the way to get to God. <clears throat> when everything is ready, okay, Thomas said, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who the Father is, or you would know the Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, you know where I'm going, the Father. Now you know him, or you're getting ready to know him. And you know the way, which is me. Jesus said, I am the way to the Father. Now you know the way. But in just a second, you're going to realize that I know the Father, and I have seen the Father, because I know Jesus Christ. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. We've seen you. We know the way. Now we want to see the Father. So we know where we're going. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does the work through me. If you believe in the idea that there's two persons, that there's God the Father and God the Son, then God the Son is saying in essence here, I didn't do anything. It's all the Father working through him. But the reality is, Jesus is the Son of God. And he is saying that the works that I do, 
I'm a man speaking to you here as a man. In a minute, I'll speak as God. But right now, I'm speaking as a man, and I'm declaring to you the works that I do. It is the Father that is in me. Now, take the word Father out and just put God in and see what that sounds like. Jesus replied, I've been with you so long, Philip. You still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen God. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in God and God is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but God who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in God and God is in me, or at least believe me, because of the works you have seen me do. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. When Jesus referred to the Father, he was talking about divinity or God, the divine nature. He was speaking as a man. Now, this is a subject we could go on and on and on and on and on and on about. A little bit later, Jesus says, I will pray the Father and ask him to send another comforter to you. And then two verses later, he says, I won't leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So, Jesus, you going to send the comforter or are you the comforter? He says, as a man, I'm telling you, the Father's going to send the comforter. As God, I'm telling you, I'm going to come to you because there's only one spirit and there's only one God. Amen? And when you get the Holy Ghost, you're not getting another person. You're getting Jesus Christ on the inside. The Spirit of the living God, the Creator on the inside. It's just another way of revealing Himself in the hearts of individuals, in the hearts of people. Amen. And uh, so... Uh, just to cut through and, and get to the end here, I have a lot uh, of other things I could tell you. Uh, the day after tomorrow, I skipped ahead a little bit. John chapter 20 and verse 28. Jesus is unlocking their levels of understanding. I don't know if you've ever purchased software before that has locked portions. In, anybody understand that concept? You buy a software and... Uh, it has a lot of potential, but you've only bought a certain portion. You have to go online and spend a little bit more money, and they'll unlock more of it. Now you can use all these extra books or elements. I'm talking to some people that don't use computers very often, I think, uh, don't understand. You can unlock more and more. This is the way it was. Jesus was unlocking their understanding. At first, he's just a teacher, and then he turns water into wine, and he's a miracle worker, and then he... Then he heals a blind man, and he's uh, able to do miracles in the physical body. Then he raises somebody from the dead, and then he begins to tell, reveal that he is the Messiah, the promised one. Then he goes a step further and says, by the way, I come from God. I am the Son of God. Then he goes a step further and says, by the way, just to further enlighten you, when I'm talking about the Father, I'm talking about God. And when you have seen me, you have seen God. I am God manifest in the flesh, essentially, as it was later revealed in Scripture. And so he's unlocking their understanding and so they're calling him rabbi, teacher, Messiah, Lord. But then in John chapter 20 and verse 28, it's profound what, uh, uh, what Thomas said. This is a man who's known Jesus for years. And he says to Jesus in chapter 20 and verse 28, he says, Thomas was the one that was a doubter. Verse 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. My Lord and my God. This was the final unfolding in the book of John as Thomas declared. Teacher, yeah. Miracle worker, yeah. Prophet, wow. Healer, yeah. 
Messiah? Yeah. Son of the living God? Yeah. My Lord, singular, and my God. Jesus, almost the same. I get the message. I got the picture. It's been unfolded to me. You are God. That's why a few days later, Jesus ascended into the heavens, sent him to Jerusalem, told him to wait for the promise of the Father. There they were waiting. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. 3,000 people came. They said, what should we do? This is profound. We want to experience this. Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The apostles understood. Jesus said, I'm going to quit talking in parables now. I've been talking in parables to just slowly reveal and let people understand as their faith allowed. But disciples, you're ready now for me to reveal to you all this talk about the Father. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. When I refer to the Father, I'm referring to God. And it's God in me that is doing the works. And brothers and sisters, when you get to heaven, you're not going to see three people in heaven. You get to heaven, there will be a throne, and there will be one that sits upon the throne. And the person that sits upon the throne will be Jesus Christ. What about the Father? It's all in Him. Amen? It's all in Jesus Christ. He didn't invalidate or take the place of or replace the Father. He was the Father, made manifest in the flesh. And I'm so glad to understand that I don't worship three gods. I worship one God who was revealed as Father in creation, revealed as the Son to redeem mankind, and today is being revealed in hearts and lives as the Holy Spirit to transform them and to change them and to make them over again. Hallelujah. I'm so glad. I know who Jesus is. And you need to understand who Jesus is. Hallelujah. He is God. Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. Let's just lift up our hands and give praise to the God of heaven right now. Hallelujah. Jesus, we give you honor and praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We glorify you. We We magnify you. We lift you up, Lord Jesus, for there is none like you, Lord God. You are the first and the last. You are the beginning and the ending. Ah, you are altogether lovely. You are the rose of Sharon. You are the lily of the valley. You are the wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You are my shield. You are my buckler. You are the present help in the time of need. Ah, hallelujah. You are everything that I'll ever need. You're my bread when I'm hungry. You're my water when I'm thirsty. You are my shelter in the time of storm. You are my strong tower that I run into and I'm saved, Lord Jesus. You are everything to me. You are my Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You're my Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Hallelujah. You're my Jehovah Inkadesh, my banner. You are everything to me. And when I say Jesus, I say the greatest name, the name that calls us demons to tremble, the name that calls us evil spirits uh, ah, to lose their ability and their hold, the name that causes sickness and disease to tremble, the name of Jesus, uh, given all authority, given all glory and all power. Come on, somebody, just shout out that name right now.